This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Are you about to start a podcast or producing a podcast and tired of doing the editing yourself? We have produced over 1,000 daily shows and the production team that I've created, they're now available to produce shows for you as well. We can do as little or as much as you need from finding and communicating with guests, preparing introductions, to editing the audio and video. You will sound better, have a more professional presence, and be able to spend your time doing other valuable tasks on your business. Let me know you're interested by emailing me directly at Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com. Our guest is Charles Seaman. Thanks for being on the show, Charles. Thank you very much for having me, Whitney. No, I'm honored to have you on the show. Charles has some great experience and in, in a recent deal that we want to dive into and, and learn more about that I know listeners are going to learn a lot from as well. But a little about Charles is 14 years of commercial real estate experience in New York City, has been focusing on syndication deals since mid 2017, recently acquired a 92-unit deal in Georgia, and has underwritten approximately 200 deals during this time, actively looking for new multifamily deals throughout the Southeast, primarily in Charlotte and Atlanta. So, you know, I like how you you talked about, you know, during that time, you underwrote approximately 200 deals, Yes, you know, to finding that one. And so, anyway, I feel like a lot of people are, you know, it's like, well, let's look at five deals. One of them has to work, you know? <laughs> so, so, I appreciate that even being in your bio, but Charles, thank you again for your time today and tell the listeners a little more about who you are and maybe your current focus and and let's dive into this 92 unit property. Sure, absolutely. So as Whitney alluded to, I have 14 years of experience working for a commercial investor in New York City. And while I was with him, I got to work very closely with him and do a lot of different functions from finding deals, helping him acquire them, doing due diligence, obtaining financing and leasing and managing them. So in that sense, I was blessed because I really had a head start because even though I wasn't doing my own deals, I got a a great learning curve ahead of time. (laughs) And then as Whitney said, I I started having a desire to syndicate my own deals about two years ago, and I started building broker relationships and underwriting deals. And eventually that led to the 92-unit deal that we're going to be talking about today that I just recently closed on this past Thursday. So my partners and I had looked at many deals, most of which have come through brokers that we have relationships with. And there was a lot of underwriting and a lot of deals that didn't lead to anything. So unfortunately, that's just the course of doing business. They say you have to kind of, you know, you have to pay your dues, I guess, before you get one. <laughs> that's for sure. That's yeah. for sure. You got to be patient, right? Yes, 100%. You know what? A lot of times it's normal that you do have to look at 100 deals before you really find one that makes sense. But with the, with the competitive nature of where we are now in the market cycle, it's it's 150 to 200 with a lot of groups. Yes. I, yes. I can definitely attest to that. I, I've been in that, that range now. <laughs> I'm hearing that a lot more common now. You know, like, you know, it used to be 100 deals. Like everybody said, well, you got to look at 100 deals or underwrite 100 deals before you find the one. And now uh, more people are saying 200. And I yeah. believe that. I believe that. So let's get started on this 92-unit property, Charles, and give us some background on what were you doing to find deals and you know, maybe before you even found this one, and then we'll talk about how it came about and how you found it. So almost all of our deals come through broker relationships. Uh, if we were doing smaller properties, you could probably go direct to seller in certain cases. But when you're looking at 
hundred unit apartment buildings, they're almost always going to be listed with a broker. So you want to have strong broker relations. And most of our deals, you know, did come through there. We had looked at a lot of different deals, but the 92 unit actually came to us by by way of the person that sponsored it. So we had a good relationship with the the gentleman that sponsored it. And it was somebody that we had looked at previous deals with and some that we submitted offers on, but didn't pan out for one reason or another. And he's based in the Atlanta market. So he has a lot of good connections there. And somebody had presented this deal to him, but it wasn't the right fit for him personally because he does three and 400 unit deals. So somebody just starting out probably saying, who wouldn't want a 92 unit deal? But when you're doing three and 400 unit deals, 92 units like a, a baby deal. <laughs> so he thought of us because he had worked with us a couple of times. And he said, you know, I know you're actively looking for something. Do you guys want it? So we took a look at it. The numbers made sense. And then we went forward from there. Nice. So it goes back to that relationship piece, right? I mean, th- this is such a relationship business. And and you had already built that, you know, somewhat of a track record, a reputation with that other sponsor and, you know, for him to contact you all, right? A hundred percent. Yeah. We've been working with him for about a year already. And we had a couple of deals we looked at and just kept the relationship going even when we didn't have an active deal for him. And that's what made him think of us. Nice. Yeah. You never know, do you? You never know who, you know, where or how these things come together as far as the, the relationships and the value that you're adding to other people and how it comes back around. But um, he connected you to this deal. And, you know, maybe you could elaborate on a little bit, you know, the underwriting process and due diligence process as well. Sure. So, there's a few different things that we do. So with our underwriting, our first one is we have an underwriting template that we use that just kind of shows us where the property's at now and where it'll be when we, we acquire it. And then after that, if it has any potential initially, we draw it out further, usually over a five-year schedule so we can see what the projections will look like. And most times our goal is that we, we want to see something that's really going to be delivering at least a 10% cash on cash return by the time that we have our value ads implemented. So that may not be an acquisition for somebody just starting out who's not not aware of it. Your value ads are going to be all the things you're going to do to increase the value of the property. And most deals, unless it's a, a major reposition with a lot of upgrade work, we try to implement our value ads in year one. So by the end of year one, we want our cash and cash return for the investors to be at 10%. And the annualized rate of return we look for is at least 16% because we find that that's what helps attract investors. So if it doesn't meet those numbers, you're going to move on to the next deal? Exactly. All right. So you underwrote this deal. It did come out to to meeting those numbers, I assume. Uh, but tell me, you know, what was the, what type of property, what type of neighborhood, what, what was the business plan here? So this is a 92 unit multifamily property. It's a C property in a C area. It's in the Stone Mountain market, which is right outside of Atlanta, about 25 to 30 minutes out of the inner loop. And the Atlanta MSA has become so strong that all of the submarkets have really benefited greatly. Stone Mountain being no exception. <laughs> so the benefit to it is that we have a really strong, diverse economy with a lot of jobs. The property in the area a blue collar, but one of the benefits to it is that really twofold. So the property itself is a cardinal property, and that just refers to the type of construction. They're single-story prefabricated buildings that were built in the 70s, 80s, and 90s by a company called Cardinal. And the benefit to them is that you get a lot of single working people and a lot of elderly retired people. So there usually aren't too many kids or teens. So overall, noise is minimal on the property, but people like them. And there's less turnover than regular properties because they have single stories, so nobody's above them. They have a little patio area in the backyard, and they have a parking spot right in front of their door. So it's almost like having your own house with just having uh, some neighbors next to you. (laughs) Nice. So, so that, that was really our plan was to cater to workforce housing. And the benefit is that 
Some of the other properties within the adjacent block or two have seen major upgrades in the recent year or two. And what's happened is the C-class people that were there for all these years have become priced out. So we acquired a property that was at nearly 98% occupancy. And it was also a strong wait list because now there's more and more people that were displaced by these renovations that want to stay in the same area. So they're looking to get into properties like ours. Okay. So pretty much, I mean, you knew who you were, who your tenants were going to be, right? You know who they, who you're going to be catering to, right? Like, so, yes. I mean, the workforce housing and, and you're in an area where you can see it changing and you can see the change happening, right? 100%, yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And so, you know, what about what types of, you know, doing value add? Are you changing the property much? Can you elaborate on some of that? So a lot of the deals we look at are value-add. This particular one is actually only value-add through operational efficiency. So we do have $100,000 budget for CapEx for unit upgrades, but we're only doing very light upgrades and only upon turns. So we might replace the, the lighting fixture package that's there now with the brush nickel package. Uh, in certain units, we may do flooring, cabinets, and countertops, but only as needed. So overall, it's really through management efficiencies. The biggest value-add is in year one, we're just recapturing the loss to lease. So the landlord has recently, the previous landlord recently raised the market rents earlier this year, but only about 20 or 30% of the units are actually at market rent. So the big value that we have in year one is recapturing that loss to lease for the rest of the units as leases renew. And even in year two, we're only using very conservative rent increases. So that way we're budgeting to be very conservative. The other value that we have is that we're able to build back more of the water and sewer bill than the previous owner did. And also we have a washer dryer rental program. Being it's a C-class property, all of the units have washer dryer hookups, but a lot of these people probably won't be able to afford to buy their own washers and dryers. So what's going to happen is the ones who want those, those appliances but don't have money to buy them will have the option to rent them from us. So depending on the size of the unit, we'll rent them for either an additional $29 or $39 a month, and that's additional income that we can bank on each month. Our guest is Rodney Thompson. Thanks for being on the show, Rodney. Thank you, Whitney. We appreciate the invitation. Rodney is a husband to one woman for 35 years, a father to six wholesome kids, and a new grandfather to one. Well, con- congratulations on that. <laughs> After spending 30 years in IT as a system administrator, Rodney was looking to create passive income in retirement and found commercial real estate well, it was a way to accomplish that goal. So Rodney, again, welcome to the show. And I know your story is going to be one that so many of the listeners and myself can relate to. Uh, and just looking forward to hearing more about that. And just this transition, we talk about it often on the show. I think it's it's worth talking about because everybody's story is unique, but also it's something that it's so hard to make that leap and make that transition. And and so tell us a little more about who you are, Rodney, maybe where you're located and let's jump into just, you know, your your transition into into real estate the syndication and why. Well, I I am currently residing in Minnesota. I'm from Texas. Got to get that in there. And uh, <laughs> we moved up here about 13 years ago. Uh, we were looking for a little more terrain and some cooler weather. And I think we kind of jumped from the frying pan into the freezer. But other than that, it's not too bad. But my past is, you know, I, I tried various things and ended up settling in IT. And I'm still actually involved in IT. And I plan on retiring next June from IT. And that's kind of a story all in its own because you run across a lot of people, why do you want to retire or why do you want to quit or transition to a different occupation? 
you know, there's a lot of people out there that have various reasons for doing it, whether it's, you know, just to do something different. But for me, I wanted to get to a point where I would have the freedom to have income and be able to spend time with my wife and my kids and my grandkids and be able to travel and do those things and still have a business that was producing income. And, you know, we have had single family houses here and there over the years where we've rented those out and property management, not property management. Right now, we currently have a single family home that we use as an Airbnb. But my wife has always been saying, we need to be in self-storage. We need to be in self-storage. And I had no idea about anything to do with syndication. And all I could say, say to her was like, well, that's a great idea, babe, but how are we going to plunk down you know, a quarter million dollars to buy this facility and manage it and that type of thing? So we just kind of put that off. And right at two years ago now, I heard about this awesome thing called syndication and I started learning more about it. And I came about it because... You know, we were going to look at wholesaling. We were going to look at just buying more single family houses, duplexes and that type of thing, which I think is where everybody kind of tees on real estate. And I was listening to a podcast and somebody started talking about multifamily syndication and I started researching it. And there was some pretty compelling reasons to be in multifamily. And so I started down that path. and. I got my start in that in April of 2019. And I made a goal for myself that by September, I was going to have a deal. And so I just put my nose to the grindstone. I started getting up at 4.30 in the morning, or actually 4 o'clock. It was kind of a progression. I said, well, I'll get up a little bit early. Let's do 5.30. And then I was 5. And then pretty soon I just said, I got to get up at 4 because I was running out of time before I had to go to my W-2 job. And so 4 o'clock in the morning, get up, get after it, uh, You know, answer emails from brokers, make broker contacts, and just start the whole process of analyzing deals one right after the other. And pretty soon I found a deal that looked like it was going to work. And we started working on that, turned into an LOI. Our LOI was accepted. And then the fun began. <laughs> and how long ago was that? We closed on that in December of 2019. Nice. Good for you. Congratulations. Thank you. There were some heated moments that I can tell you about because we we had a hard close date. It was an REO property, which means it was bank owned. So they wanted to have it closed in 2019 and there were no extensions, which made it quite exciting. Wow. I would love to hear more about that. But you know, also what I want to hear more about though right now is your thought process behind making this happen. Because it's it's a difficult one, and you and I briefly talked about it before the show. But just you know, you made the goal, and you said deal by September. But all of a sudden, your your daily habits—it sounded like anyway. Maybe you can ha- uh, highlight on this. Your daily habits changed to make this happen. Is that right? They did. And if you're working a current job and you want to make this transition and you want to make it a smooth one without just doing an abrupt quit, which I didn't have that luxury. 
then I had to rearrange my schedule and my family was completely behind what I was doing. And so they understood that I was going to be up early and sometimes I had to go to bed late, but my goal was to be in bed by nine so I could get up by four. But that time gave me a, a solid three hours of work on my business before I went and rented my time out to somebody else. Gave you a solid three hours. Wow. I mean, think about when you're that focused too, knowing you only have three hours, I bet it was pretty productive. Uh, and you think about over a long period of time, what you can accomplish with three hours, three, I mean, extra hours a day because you're purposeful about when you went to sleep and when you got up. Right. And, and uh, you know, one of the things here that you were asking about the, you know, the success, and of course, it's just, it's an ongoing journey, right? I mean, I don't think that too many of us arrive, maybe we do, but, you know, work like the deadline is that afternoon is what I have to say that you have to have in your, in your mind. So to highlight more on like, what did that three hours every morning look like? Were there specific things you knew to focus on and maybe other things you had to say, you know, that's just not important. I just can't focus on that or say no to. So, uh, yeah, because it was social media can be a time suck. And I would make sure that that was not in front of me until that evening and just concentrate on answering emails from brokers, emailing brokers and analyzing deals and those three things and the email right then, you know, when I was kind of getting started out, I, I wasn't getting the deal flow that I get now through my mailbox, but it's just finding a deal and going through the numbers, putting it down to see if it's going to work. And if it doesn't work, then you move on. You can't get married to it. If you sit there and you try and make it work, make it work and make it work, which I've caught myself doing before, you're wasting time. I mean, there, there are things that you can do to make a deal work. And, and the more you do that, the more you, the, the more you learn about things that you could adjust to make a deal work. But being able to recognize that a deal is worth spending that time versus not spending that time, I think is something that's really good to, to learn quickly. Yes. So, you know, I wanted to uh, go back to, and, you know, maybe you can highlight, you know, I liked how you said, you know, your family was behind it. You know, they were behind this decision. Uh, the schedule had to change completely. You said, how did you manage to still be at home while you're at home? You know, or, you know, I know, you know, when I was in that transition as well for a couple of years, I mean, it was difficult when I'm having dinner. Like that's, that's what's going in my mind constantly, like the business stuff or emails I need to get back to or investors or whatever, you know, it's difficult to actually be there, you know, and, and I missed most meals for those two years with the family. But even when I was there, uh, you know, it was difficult. Did you have a way of segmenting that or that, that you, you stayed with the family? Most of my time that I was working, the, everybody was still in bed. So, well, it's two things. And part of it is, you know, like this COVID situation that we're in where a lot of people move to working from home and, you know, they're working at the dining room table or they're working at a desk in their bedroom. And the, the one piece of advice I have for that and for if you're trying to work as a syndication business is get a separate space, whether it's a, a spare bedroom or a cleaned out closet or a corner in the basement where you can close it off. 
that is so key and so important to being able to concentrate so you're not distracted from noises that are going on in the house. You can carry on a conversation without interruption and you mentally can stay focused on what you're working on. So those two things, finding a separate space, getting up before everybody else. And then there's always going to be some evening stuff because you can't do a, uh, you know, a deal presentation at four 30 in the morning for most people. So <laughs> right. you're going to have to have some evening time. And I'm a little bit fortunate because my kids are older so, you know, I don't have, you know, a two-year-old or a three-year-old. So that can be a totally separate set of challenges. And I think that having the family together and everybody understanding, you know, that, you know, dad is working now and having mom behind it, it's really important to be all on the same page. And then I think that it makes things easier. I could not agree with you more. I like to say you have to paint a vision for the whole family, right? So they can see where you're going to. You know, they don't just see dad missing every day, but they actually can visualize where where the family is. Well, we going. sat down and we said, "Hey, if it, right now if we if we spend this time doing this and and we're all, you know, pulling in the same direction, this is what we're going to do. We're going to be able to go to Europe for a month. We're going to be able to, you know, get in the truck and pull the RV around the country for a month. And that's the stuff that not a lot of people can do. And that got them excited. And then they understood why, you know, I was doing what I was doing. And then in the evenings, we still, you know, we still had dinner unless there was some odd meeting, but I always tried to schedule the meetings around family time. Mm -hmm. So you, you can't just dump your family. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta really make sure that they're included and they understand what the end goal is. They're definitely part of the team, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree with you more with what you said about that, Rodney. And, and so tell me about, I know you mentioned this a little bit before we started recording as well, but, you know, staying encouraged during that time, because it's, you know, and you mentioned it being a lengthy process. Could you elaborate on that and just how you stayed encouraged? Because it's, it's hard, you know, especially after you're six months in or a year in or 18 months in. And I mean, and it just still hasn't paid off yet. You know, people start questioning you more, right? You know, are you, you know, are you really going to keep doing this? And, you know, all these things, you know, can you elaborate on what that looked like for you? Well, everybody always says, you know, you're your, your own worst enemy, right? And you can be your own worst enemy, but you can be your best cheerleader too. And then having your wife be a cheerleader as well. Whoever is in this journey with you, if they're all pulling for you, then when you do get discouraged and you can talk about it, then, you know, there's a lot of times where I would be discouraged and, and I just sit back and I think about what my end goal is, where I want to be. And that will push the reset button on your brain a little bit. And, you know, maybe it's putting something aside. You know, if you're working on a deal and, you know, it's just, you know, you're beating your head on the wall, put it aside, work on some other aspect, whether it's your website or get on LinkedIn and, and do some networking on LinkedIn. Because even though that's quote unquote social media, I spend most of my time on LinkedIn and that, and that time 
is well spent, in my opinion, because I'm forging networking relationships with people out there that are not only in my industry, but not in my industry, because I have investors and things like that, that monitor that type of thing. And when I comment on somebody else's LinkedIn post, then all of those people see my stuff at the same time. And so there's a lot of engagement that goes on there. So that is, that's, to me is as important as doing all of the deals because you're building your network and then come back and, and work on whatever you're being frustrated with. Now, if you're just frustrated because you don't seem like you're going anywhere, that might be a a bigger pep talk, but you know, you hear a lot of people talk about the magic of the first deal. And I do think that that exists. And if you can just tell yourself to get that first deal, get that first deal, then it's easier to talk to brokers. The deal flow increases. You gain confidence. Your knowledge will grow just by working the numbers and working in the industry and and talking to people. Your confidence grows. And that really helps to energize you. It does me at least. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day.